Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. This episode of the History Chicks is brought to you by Green Chef, a new food delivery service that makes cooking easy with consciously sourced, healthy recipes and organic ingredients. Get four free meals with your first order when you go to greenchef.com slash chicks. Welcome to the show. We thought we'd do something a little bit different this week. Um, we are not in the same place. This is not going to be our normal format. But while we were covering Beatrix Potter for the last episode, we started to talk about the 2006 Miss Potter movie starring Renee Zellweger. And we decided that we had a lot to say about it so that we would make it a separate episode. And that's what this is. So we've got Renee Zellweger as Miss Beatrix Potter, and Ewan McGregor as Norman Warren. There is a note on IMDb that Kate Blanchett was actually supposed to star in this movie, though she had to bow out kind of at the last minute. And I was looking at the timeline, and it looks like she might have just bowed out for Queen Elizabeth the Golden Age, so I suppose I'll have to forgive her, but... Yes, we could definitely forgive her for that. Come on, she was awesome. But I'm going down on public record to say that I think you know, wishes being what they are, that this might have been a better movie with Kate Blanchett. No offense to Renee Zellweger, but come on. Yeah, you and I had talked about this before. You had said that you thought uh, Kate Blanchett was a much better actress, and I have to agree with you on that. Um, I thought Renee Zellweger did a fine job. She did get a Golden Globe nomination out of it, you know, for Best Actress. She didn't get a win, but, you know, it wasn't horrible. Well, here's my, I guess, here's my problem. And I'll probably mention this like seven more times. I saw far too much Bridget Jones in Beatrix Potter. I just couldn't separate the two. The facial expressions, the little smirky smile thing. And I'm sure that's just Renee Zellweger. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like there's some actresses like Julia Roberts equals Julia Roberts in every movie. And I almost think Renee Zellweger's the same. Renee Zellweger equals Renee Zellweger in every movie where Actors like Liam Neeson or Kate Blanchett are a little bit more transformative and they are Meryl Streep. Oh, yes. Bow yourself down. (laughs) So we begin the first scene with the opening credits, which, of course, every time there's opening credits, my 11 year old says, what? The movie's already over because he's not accustomed to opening credits. He's not. No. And it's curiously sponsored by the National Lottery. Maybe money was going to the National Trust. I would hope so. So there's scenes of kind of technical preparation of painting and drawing. So there's very well-used watercolors. We're going to have to ask our friend Lisa Graves if that level of mess in the Mm -hmm. watercolor is acceptable to her. Because it seems like there was a lot of mixed up colors in there in that little box. You know what? I thought it was interesting. The box had the blue, which would be the blue of a sky, or the blue of Peter Rabbit's jacket. The blue was the one that was emptiest. And then there's like dirt colors where I paused the movie. There was dirt colors that were a little, you know, empty too. And then there was others that didn't look like they had ever been touched. Awesome. Hey. I know. And you know what? And I smelled them. You know, I must be in a memory from a childhood, you know, that could smell watercolors from when I used to paint as a kid in school. The opening scenes were just so pretty. They were like little Instagram pictures almost, you know, extreme close-ups. Of the pencil being shaved. So there's a cool little thing about testing different strokes of the of the paintbrush to find out the proper one. And, of course, the nerds pointed out that, yes, she's sharpening a pencil with a knife, which is period appropriate. But later, that pencil's clearly been sharpened by a modern pencil sharpener. 
So we can move beyond that level of. Oh yeah, I did not want. I was looking. I'm thinking I'm doing good looking at the level of paint in the containers. Oh, wow. I didn't notice it. This is just something I I caught up to in research. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> so then we open on scenery, scenery, scenery. It's the beautiful Lake District, although we don't know that yet. So Beatrix Potter is savoring. She's looking around. We're all savoring, frankly. And then she's writing, and there's a voiceover. And it says, there's something quite delicious about writing the first words of a story. You can never quite tell where they will take you. So that sets us up for now, we're told, <laughs> flat out text on the screen, London, 1902. It's an unpaved road and a street scene. I know, it's so jarring. You know, we were in the country just a second ago, and now we're in dark, gloomy London. It's supposed to be number two, Bolton Gardens. That actual house has been bombed. In two, <laughs> so it's not there anymore. But Kensington, the area, is still a very Tony area. I did a tiny bit of research, and a two-bedroom flat in Kensington mm-hmm. is currently for sale for 1.2 million pounds. Oh, my goodness. This is not a chump change establishment. No, not Even at now. all. No, my goodness. And then, as we talked about during the Beatrix Potter episode that we just covered, um, the life of Beatrix Potter, her family is relatively new money, but this neighborhood is full of people just like them. People with a lot of money to burn in appropriate directions to further their social ambitions. So the whole neighborhood is kind of climbery. They're trying think, to establish their credentials. And that's, I mean, that's pretty consistent with modern day. You know, the people in your neighborhood are very similar to you, you know, socioeconomically, right? Maybe not my neighborhood, but most neighborhoods, yes. Yeah, yeah. Mine's pretty heterogeneous. Really? I have to say. Uh, yeah, I would say. Mine is very homogenous. <laughs> and so now we move to Miss Potter is putting on her gloves. So evidently she's preparing to go out. I was just listening to the Downton Abbey special where Michelle Dockery, who plays Lady Mary, was saying a lady would never be seen dead in public without a hat and gloves. Mm-hmm. So very important. And she talks to her drawing, which I have to say, this is the first time you'll have to see it. Unfortunately, not the last. I know. You know what? I started to keep track of how many times she called her drawings, my friends. <laughs> you know, she's, well, my friends. And these are my friends. They're real. I started to keep track. I, I stopped at six because it was getting tedious. But there was a lot. Yeah. It took me out of the movie a little bit. I think they're kind of using that as a device for what's in her mind. What is what is going through her inner life? Because she says to the drawing, you mustn't be frightened and don't talk too much. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, she doesn't have any kids, so she has to tell somebody how to do something, right? And she doesn't have any friends. Yeah, and she's either. controlled all the time, so it would be nice to have something to control. All right, I can I can buy it now. <laughs> so scene number five at the office some office what office we don't know i mean we know it's the porn <laughs> office but the moviegoer doesn't know it's two men dubiously leafing through her drawings these are frewing and harold warren though again we don't know that yet chaperone miss wiggin in the corner um sharp-eyed viewers harry potter reference on deck sharp-eyed viewers uh will recognize her as auntie muriel weasley from harry potter and the deathly hollows so she did have a speaking part but not in this movie no she had a sleeping sleeping part in this movie (laughs) poor her poor life she just acted with her eyes isn't that a thing (laughs) face acting is actually a thing yes yeah see 
face acting. It's a thing. Okay, Miss Potter. So you can see it in her face that she is thinking they're going to reject it. I mean, she's already kind of gotten bummed. They're not very encouraging, these grim dudes. And they said, are you, you know, are these based on your friends? And then, of course, she has to go into full crazy mode and say they're quite real. They are my friends. Yeah, I thought, oh, my goodness, they're going to play her super dingy, you know, at that point. What I wrote in my notes is, cuckoo, run away, Fruing, run away. (laughs) And then Fruing gives her a sick burn. He said, Miss Potter, it is Miss. Of course. Silly of me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who's going to marry a quirky woman like you? I was like, oh, I want to jump through and strangle him. So she's prepared to be let down. But to her great surprise, unbearded brother takes her book. I'm guessing it's Harold because maybe the older brother, since Beardy McBeard doesn't challenge it, at least not in front of her. Mm -hmm. We can make a small profit, I believe, says unbearded brother. Um, So... Miss Potter seems grateful for maybe 30 seconds and then starts being demanding about size and price and criticizes their usual typeface. (laughs) Uh, What they want to say is seriously and then maybe WTF. But what they actually say is complete silence. (laughs) Yeah. There's a sitcom convention where a woman will storm out or go out after a power move and then she comes back in and it's all sheepish. It's like, haha, forgot my purse. I mean, we've seen it on every romantic comedy and every sitcom. It's ridiculous. But here she goes. Forgot my portfolio. Come along, Peter. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, It was a pretty little portfolio, though. Yes. Hand sewn. Looked like quilted. They start mocking her the second she leaves. And they're watching her out the window (laughs) while they're like, you can't be serious. That book won't sell 10 copies, says Beardy McBeard. And the brother kind of reveals his little plan. Hey, we've had trouble finding our little brother any kind of role in this company, even though mother kind of wants him to come in here. Kind of they're being made or pressured to include their little brother in their company, Mm -hmm. which they kind of don't. But their point is, who cares if he messes this up? This. Oh, I see. I'm picking up what you're putting down here. I read it as, you know, let's get Norman. He'll do it. He'll do anything. Because at this point, he will. He's just bored at home. You know, he wants a project. And this is a good project for him because, according to them, it's not going to hurt anything. There's a drive through the park. Drive through the park, Saunders. Um, The coachman. Okay, so I actually did research on this, too. Evidently, the Potters have a coachman and a groom. And Saunders is the groom. The groom is like the the road footman. The coachman's mm-hmm. the guy driving, mm-hmm. which she doesn't speak to because there's a groom. And the groom is the go-between between the family and the coachman. Right. And we talked about this during the Beatrix Potter episode, you know, that that was like really radical for her is to drive through the park at this high speed. So she tells him to drive through the park, drive through all the parks. And so I was like, drive through all of them. What the heck? But evidently Kensington Park, Hyde Park and Green Park kind of make a long epic series of parks. Mm -hmm. So while it's not every park in existence, that is pretty much all the parks the well-heeled people would consider going into, I think. So all the parks. And he faster, faster, and she takes off her hat. So if we go back to the Downton Abbey, wouldn't be caught dead without a hat and gloves. Here she is with no hat, sticking her face out the window, going, what, 18 miles an hour. (laughs) And so there's an extra that jumps back, probably thinking some beer truck has gotten a hold of this park, the way he's looking at it. Like, he turns around fully expecting to see, like, people wearing overalls and flat caps or something, and he doesn't know how to process this woman with no hat. And... 
I played this over and over, and I actually made my 11-year-old child give me a ruling. Does he say, oh, for Christ's sake, or oh, I say? <laughs> we okay. have come down on the side of oh, for Christ's sake, but I just think that really would he say that? I don't know. Maybe he was just in shock. Oh, I don't I don't know. But, you know, he's faced with a woman without a hat bellowing to Saunders to drive faster. You know, maybe all convention is out the window, too. I guess that's not in the etiquette manual. Yeah. Right. What do you do when you're faced with a woman acting like she's driving in a beer truck? <laughs> so happy and hatless Miss Beatrix walks happily up the pavement, but um, the velocity was light to have killed poor Miss Wigan. She's stabbing at her eyes as she goes <laughs> in like she's been overcome. Like she's been on some kind of roller coaster or something. So here's the next scene. We move we move to the inside of the Potter house at number two, Bolton Gardens, where a needle-pointing mama has been waiting for Bridget. For Bridget. See? I'm even calling her. Oh. Well, uh-huh. that's a fact, Jack. Anyway, uh-huh. she's waiting for Beatrix's return, and she's been looking out the window and just starts in the second she comes in the door. Where have you been? I hope to use the carriage myself. We talked about that in the podcast, that mama sort of used that carriage as this weapon of control. Mm-hmm. Now and helicoptering her big time. Yeah, you know what? And about the way she walked in when she walked out of the offices of Warning Company, she had these teeny tiny little steps, like very prim and proper. But when she walked into her house, they were these huge, gigantic bounding through the house. These big steps. Well, and but- movie Beatrix says to her mother, "I'm not a child. I can do things without my mother's permission." But real Beatrix, I don't think would say that. She would have apologized, you think? Yeah. 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 I don't think she would. I don't think she was that girl. I mean, otherwise, she put up with it for a mighty long time until she got a hold of some independence. But at this point, in real Beatrix, I don't think she would go there. And would she have said, I took a drive with my friends? No. No. She would not. I took (laughs) a drive with my friends. Blah. We now, in the next scene, still smiling crazily... Beatrix enters her upstairs room slash studio. And man, this house is full of stuff. It's an amazing amount of space. Obviously, used to be the nursery. So I assume Mm -hmm. there's a bedroom off the back. It looked like where maybe the nanny used to sleep. But now it's probably her bedroom. Um, So anyway, Mama busts in. It takes her a minute. Maybe it's the corset and she can't like huff and puff up the stairs. But the very first thing she says, having made it all the way to the top of the house is, you don't have any friends. Okay. Yeah. And then she said, yes, I do, mother, every time I draw one. Ow, how sad. And then Mama has to, like, what I want to know, what is her motivation right here when she says, as if in surprise, but not very good acted surprise, some of your paintings are quite pretty, but I'm not going to deceive you as your father does and call them great art. And then there is this look, like Mama can't wait for Beatrix to yell at her. She's just waiting. And then Uh Beatrix just has this little smirk, like she's just going to wait it out. Give Mama no satisfaction at all. And then Mama just leaves. Yeah. Well, she had, she had something finally, you know, she had this, this book deal that she wasn't telling her mother about. But what, like, what is her mother hoping? Like, Oh, you're right. I'll quit art. I'm a ridiculous person. Like, what did she want her to say? I don't know. (sighs) It's, I think it's just a controlling thing, you know. You were not the daughter that I expected, so I'm just going to shame you into being her. Well, she did say to herself, when I'm a published author, then we shall see. So I wonder who's really drawing, but we see a picture of one rabbit 
And then we see a hand drawing a second one. Um, So, you know, like in Titanic, when you see, quote, Leo DiCaprio's hand drawing Rose on the couch, that's actually James Cameron's hand. So maybe there was a stunt artist on this one, which would be super cool to be an artist. I would. (laughs) Renee Zellweger was having enough trouble with the accent. She couldn't possibly be expected to paint, too. I know. She really, and I am no British person, but I... I don't know. She didn't have a good coach here, or maybe it was just tough to get your tongue around. And I read that they actually altered, there's no recordings, obviously, of Beatrix Uh Potter's voice, but she would have had a pretty high, tight, kind of, mm, almost like a snooty, like Lady Mary, but but tighter voice. (laughs) I mean, if you're social climbing, that's the one you'd want to adopt. And they thought it might be jarring for people to hear. So they had trouble kind of nailing down what they wanted. And that might've showed in her. Well, and maybe, maybe Beatrix Potter did have um, kind of a combination because she was raised in London, but then she lived in the Lake district for so long. And apparently the Lake district has their own accent. Well, and then there's a Scottish nanny. Mm-hmm. For yeah, most so of her life. She probably sounded like Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Who's that other person that has that? What do they call that? The mid-Atlantic accent? Gwyneth Paltrow. <gasps> yeah. Well, see, Gwyneth Paltrow has reason. I mean, didn't, wasn't her father British? I don't think so. Oh, no. Her mother. No, no. she's American. Her mother's a blind dinner. Oh, yeah. Then never mind. She has no excuse. It's just pretentious. And affected, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) So we dissolve to a rabbit, a rabbit model, actually, on an oriental rug in front of the fireplace. Oh, we're in the past. We've we've traveled only in time, but not in space. Here's the nine or ten year old B, which is what I wrote. I should start saying that because I want to say Bridget every time. (laughs) So the nine or ten year old Beatrix in curl rags with too much lipstick on. Rag curls? Curl rags. Curl rags. Okay, yeah. No, I put rag curls, but you're right. She's yeah. Got, so yeah. she's she's working on that drawing we just saw a second ago mm-hmm. in the future. Right. And in comes Nanny. Time for bed. Bertram's looking at bugs. So the movie convention is that Beatrix hates them. But in reality, she was just as obsessed with bugs as he was. But He was pinning them like he was pinning them onto a board. That's how you killed them. I don't I mean, I don't know when the chloroform drop came. Yeah. I, you just pinned them and then let them die or, i don't know or you found them dead and then pinned them i don't know i don't either. children are taken downstairs to wish mama and papa good night they're going out um proprieties proprieties mama oh. is so obsessed won't do to be late this ribbon's unsightly and then you bow and you curtsy to one's parents when you say good night and there are two mentions two mentions of beatrix getting married and running a home within 30 seconds and, and she's, she's nine 10. or ten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then dad's pretty chill, you know, and he gives them each a gift. Which they do they ever open it? And no, they didn't because I was like, oh, what's in the boxes? You know, is, is Bertram going to get something? You know, is it sexist? Is she going to get a doll or a, I don't know, a hair ribbon and he's going to get something cool? I don't Probably, know. Probably because he said something like, this is for the future scientist and this is for the, the girl who grew up to run her own home. That's literally what he said. So I'll guarantee you those. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you they're very gender specific presents. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, yeah, no, that said, Papa them. seems a thousand times. He he shows more interest in his children than Mama ever does. And he asks about her art. And um, 
So they're like six and eleven. Maybe Bertram has missing front teeth, so I'm guessing six or seven. So, mm-hmm. and it's it's historically accurate because Rupert had those, you know, those mutton top on the side of his face and oh hey doctor who reference uh bill patterson who played rupert was in a couple episodes of doctor who with the um pandorica ones where um he was wait bracewell he was actually a robot c- created by the daleks <laughs> do you think in the pantheon of british actors there is left a person who's not been in either a doctor who or harry potter I don't know, but he's also in Outlander as Ned Gowan. I don't watch Net- Outlander, so I don't know if that's like a big thing or not. That's big true. character. Yeah. I don't. I know. They're all in Doctor Who. <laughs> as they should be. So Beatrix runs. Runs up the stairs. The bunny drawing animates, by the way, right before she goes up the stairs. So, blah. For the first time, to her shock, I guess. Oh, this is when I realized I was crazy. I was nine or ten. I hate this choice of animation. I hate it so much. I, I know. I, I would have liked it if they had just done it like one time. Like she goes upstairs and she looks out the window and she sees her parents getting into the carriage, but it's a pumpkin carriage drawn by rabbits. With mice, you know? coachman, and footman. Right. It's like so, Cinderella. But if they had done it just that one time, I would have been cool with it. I wrote Beatrix smiles, Beckett frowns. <laughs> That's what I wrote literally in my notes. So Nanny announces closing time, you know, one story, then bed. And Bertram says, I want Beatrix to tell a story. Hers are funny. So then Beatrix, inspired by her dollhouse and her pet mice, tells the story that will be later published as Two Bad Mice, about two mice who invade a dollhouse and wreck it up. And what I think is neat about this is Nanny takes a seat, too. Like, she's Mm -hmm. on stage to tell it with props. The mice are in the dollhouse. It's a nice touch. Like, even Nanny knows this is going to be good. She's smiling. She's anticipating the story. I thought that was really good. Yeah, I did, too. And um, I, well, we know now that she had written these stories for her friend's children, not when she was a kid. But they do that a lot throughout the whole movie, is they have her creating the stories that will ultimately be her books when she's a child. Yeah. So you know. I can see why they do that because that's a yeah. way to, to tie it all together. You know, the great. Yeah. And they never, Annie isn't in the movie at all. She's never referenced at all. Yeah. So this is the first nanny. I want to say her name is Miss Hammond. Actually. Yeah. They, they, Fiona. Oh, I went, oh, I had to flip ahead a few pages. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. They called her Fiona. Mm-hmm. So she starts to tell the story. Tom Thumb took a bite out of the first plate and broke his tooth and then bang, bang. And then we're woo. Time travel back. To adult Beatrix. What? You know, are we expecting someone, says Mama. My publisher, says Beatrix. And she says, Mama, I wish you wouldn't invite those people to the house. They carry dirt. Trades people carry dust. Really? Thanks, Mom. (laughs) So the parlor maid announces Mr. Norman Warren. And I noticed that there's no butler. Because if you can afford a manservant, by God, you have a manservant. So they have a parlor maid. So they're not Mm -hmm. quite upper crust yet. I don't know. But there's men servants later at the Christmas party. So I'm wondering if they were borrowed or hired for the occasion, which wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. But there's no men servant resident in the house that I can tell. So no, I couldn't either. No, you're right. You're right. And the maid doesn't take his hat, which seems awkward to me. Maybe she considered it an afternoon call and you hold your hat during that time. I don't know. Anyway, I thought it was awkward because he spent a whole bunch of time trying to figure out what to do with his hat. <laughs> 
so, uh, I guess I just hold it. Yeah. So she's super awkward. She expected Beardy McBeard or the other guy. And then here's this stranger. Like, I don't know who this is. I never saw you before. Uh, who's enthusiastic about her work, at least. Yeah, he clearly done his research. You know, he had ideas. You know, anything she came at him with, she wanted him to um, not put color portraits, you know, things that really did happen. You know, she didn't want the color drawings and she wanted to reduce the number of them so that the cost of the book would be down so it could get into, what did she say, her friend's hands? Whatever. But um, she might have said little friends or little rabbits. Oh, yes. Little rabbits' hands or something. Yes, she did. Um, But he clearly has, he's ready for this. He's got you know, rebuttals for her objections. No, I said he's done his research. Although I will tell you, hilariously, he is very uncomfortable with the word cost at a business meeting. He's like, reduce the cost. It's like, (laughs) you can just talk about money. It's fine. Well, how many, well, first off, it's his first business meeting as we quickly find out. Which other books have you supervised, says Beatrix? And he's like, basically, none. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) And he goes into his life goals. I want to be real with a real job and not my mother's pet. And so she basically just calls it. So you've been fobbed off on me. And then he lets out the news that they are referring to her book as that bunny book around the office. And she she fixes to get real irritated. And then he goes, a bunny book to conjure with, which I thought, well, now what does that mean? And I looked it up and, and a blank to conjure with means it's. An interesting name that instantly conjures in one's mind something pleasant. A whole picture of something pleasant. So if he said a bunny book to conjure with, I think she, knowing that reference, is going to come. That immediately turns her around. Like, oh, you're saying it's magical? Oh. We're going to mix the ink before your very eyes at the printer. And there's a bit of a shock. Like a printer. Like offices are one thing. But manufacturers? Heavens, you know. And then she decides, well, I'm a grown woman. Miss Wiggin will be there. And uh, here at the end, there's a completely weird scenario where, you know, hot guy trips and catches himself on the maid's shoulder and everyone's beside themselves. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that nowadays, the trope is a woman. You know, the main character is always klutzy. Weird. So now we're back to another flashback. It's a bustle. It's a hustle. Servants are running around. Beatrix is carrying a birdcage. We're off somewhere. Where are we off to? Um, There is a delightful view in the train of the Arton Gill Viaduct. I looked up what that was. It's super cool. It's this giant arched bridge. I'd be terrified to ride on it now, though, I think. It looks really rickety. I'm sure it's been there such a long time, but didn't you love it? it? It's like these blonde arches of stone hanging in the air. I've seen those in... in, uh real life in France before, but I love that they were driving to the mountains. You know, it's like, leave the city behind. We are going to those mountains over there. Um, There's a voiceover that basically said, when I was 10, my mother finally convinced my father to do what the fashionable people were doing and take a house in the Lake District. It's a little bit of narrative economy because, in fact, the family had been going to Scotland for years for the same, Hmm. you know, basic reason. But her delight, in mine, honestly, is very apparent she said it was like an animal being released from its cage. That little girl actress was so full of wonder. Her face, it was really good. Yeah, you know what? I wonder, okay, the the um, 
I, oh, I don't have her name. The actress, the young Beatrix, was very confident and enthusiastic, and she was proper, but she had she accepted all of her eccentricities. And somewhere along the way, she got kind of timider and quiet, you know, as at growing up. I think it's just all those years of being beat down. And later she mentions that it was like kind of right about 20 that she realized she was never going to be like other people. And her, her mother's just... You always want to. When you're a little kid, you really want to please your parents. And then there's a point, I think, where if that never happens, you just kind of build a wall and get resigned and you have to develop some other resources, mm-hmm. I think. But she later realizes she's never going to please this person. Like, no matter what, it kind of hurts. Little Beatrix yeah. is so open and so cheerful and so willing to try new things. And then adult Beatrix is so cloistered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the whole movie is about how she gets back to being that person, you yeah. know, that she was when she was a kid. But I love their little sailor suits yes. that they were wearing. Oh, they were so charming. Yeah, that was um, popular for both boys and girls, the nautical mm-hmm. dress. It was called a midi suit. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there was a thing in the mid-80s, I think, like for grown women. There was like a sailor suit dress phase. I remember that from like the Laura Ashley catalog and stuff. Mm-hmm. I actually had one. I, I was so excited. It was a drop waist, which looks hideous on my figure, but whatever. At the time, I was like, oh, this is so cute. Actually, I kept it. It's in <laughs> – I still have it. That's cute. I should dig it out. I should dig it out and put it on. Yeah, like it would fit. I'll put it on my daughter. It would fit her. Well, so then we move to what I assume is supposed to be East Wyke House. They never say. It could be Ray Castle. Anyway, it's the wrong color for East Wyke, but I suppose how many people know that? You know, seven people. Um, yeah, and they they rent um, different houses until they settled with that one. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, so who knows? It could just be random. Rando house. Let's call Rando, it. Rando beautiful house. Yes, beautiful it is. Views. So Nanny um, terrifies them quickly about not getting their clothes dirty or fairies will eat them. You know, what does she care? Unless maybe she has to do the nursery laundry. I don't know. Anyway. Maybe. Well, she threatens them with fairy beasts. That's what she's... The fairy beasts will come and get you if you get your clothes dirty. Just hand it over to some lackey that does the laundry. I don't know why she cares. But anyway, so off they go to play in the woods with their perfect sailor suits and their perfect little straw hats. Makes me laugh. Oh my gosh, those hats were cute, huh? So the there's like a kind of little montage about like how one spends one's free time in the country. So Bertram, you know, catching butterflies, playing croquet, and then um, Beatrix is drawing squirrels, drawing hedgehogs, catching frogs. They try to get in the greatest hits right here, like a pre-curtain call, you know? Yeah. Like, this is where this, this is where this. They run into some village children. Of course, Bertram heads off like, woohoo, I'm going to climb this thing too. And Mama's like, huh, dirty beasts, you know, eh. She won't let them play with the other kids. Oh, right, with the other kids. But they played a lot by, you know, just the two of them. Well, they were chasing mischief. Yes. They chased a rabbit through the kitchen garden. So there's the germ of Peter Rabbit for our curtain call. Full on dirt face because she falls. I mean, she couldn't have gotten dirtier if she'd meant to. And yeah. Then, of course, what what does Mama say? What young man's ever going to marry a girl with a face full of mud? She's 11. It's a mud mask, Mom. It's a thing. Well, surely she wouldn't still have dirt on her face. But whatever. No, I know. I, yeah, well, maybe you're going to make it a habit, Beatrix. Nobody's going to want that. And then this is where they called her Fiona. The Fiona brings up the fairy beast again, and she says, there'll be no thrashing necessary. I'll leave the, we- the window open tonight. The fairy beast will take care of the rest. 
Nice. Well, and Bertram takes it very seriously because he's six. And he's like, no, no, no. And yeah, Beatrice is like, yeah, it's okay, whatever. And then she says, I'm not going to marry. And don't be ridiculous. All girls marry. And she said, I don't need any love but my art. And Papa's very indulgent. And he goes, this, yes, absolutely. At 11, you don't need any love but your art. But at 18, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, they're they're hammering home the point that the full expectation is we've got nine more years of childhood and then you're going to have your own household. The end. Yeah. Well, Fiona puts them to bed. Are we at the bedtime? Yeah. Okay. When she puts them to bed, she's the one that starts to tell the story. Um, and the kids are like, don't leave the window open because the, you know, the fairy beast is going to come in and get us. Here's Bertram trying to stab his butterflies that he caught earlier. And he said, die, little devil, die. And then Beatrix calls him Vlad the Impaler. I heard that. Yeah. Well educated children. No kidding. Beatrix takes over the storytelling, which I guess is what she always did. And she starts to tell a story about a rabbit named Peter. Like it was a story she told all the time as a kid again. Well, based on the events of that day when they were chasing the rabbit through the kitchen. You know. Right. You can't watch these movies as documentaries. You know, they're fictionalized. But that was just a little fictionalized part. So flash forward to a montage of Beatrix and Mr. Warren getting the Peter Rabbit story ready for publishing. Looking at drawings at the dirty, dirty printer where I caught Mrs. Wiggins showing interest. Oh, yeah. I did. Mrs. Wiggins didn't get enough um, credit, I think, because she did a lot of acting back there. You know, I was reading that book. um, Gosh, what was it? Home by Bill Bryson was talking about. um, Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. It was Servants. Lucy Lethbridge, Servants. And they were talking about um, Lady Helps. And it's women who were born to genteel families, but never really got a good education. So governess wasn't open to them and they didn't get married. And so they would offer themselves out as what they called lady helps, which was not much help, but like companions like this, Mm -hmm. but always, I mean, you're kind of a servant, but none of the servants would talk to you because you know, you're not one of them. And what could you tell the mistress if you wanted to, and they weren't going to include you in their club. It must've been a very, very lonely life. So you were kind of attached to the family, but they right. kind of disregarded you all the time. Like, look, if if you watch this movie, like, yeah, maybe the second time through. Don't spend your time doing it the first time through. But if you <laughs> look how disregarded she is by everyone, she's just ignored. She's a fixture. And that must have right. been a really hard life for Miss Wigan. So it's like her only, the only way she could be respectable is to have this job. Oh, so boring. <laughs> so anyway, they're at the printers. Um, I looked up the printer's name's Ed- Edmund Evans. But, you know, again, we don't talk about that and okay so they show these blocks these blocks that are made of zinc um they were they're carved they're like hand carved um so beatrix had so much involvement in the printing of her book it's only touched on here she approved of the zinc plates but the original printer made the prints too muddy and she disapproved of the way they came out and so frederick warren and company literally switched printers for her which it's all compressed in this one scene. Mm-hmm. So they took those plates that she approved of and took them to a whole other guy for actual printing. Yeah, I thought that was a good um, visualization of how she really was. I mean, she was micromanaging the project. So the finished book is out. Hey. So adorable. And the look between Beatrix and Mr. Warren. Mm-mm-mm. Foreshadowing. So they're walking down the street with poor old Mrs. Wiggin trailing behind them with her life. She says to him, this book has changed things for me, Mr. Warren. An unmarried woman of 32, she's actually 36, 
dun, 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 <laughs> can do more than attend tea parties and smile at dull conversations. I'm just going to add here that Bridget Jones, famously 32 years old. Hmm. Yeah, the, yeah, the 32nd year. Okay, so what I did, and if there's time, I'll go through it. But I, you keep saying that there's so much Bridget Jones in Beatrix Potter that I watched Bridget Jones, the first, you know, Bridget Jones diary, and I made a compare and contrast chart. <laughs> so they're off to somewhere. Where are they going? Through a gate to Norman's house. What? Mother, this is Miss Potter. So we meet Mama, who is very friendly and kind of jolly, um, and Sister Millie, played by Emily Watson, who I know from the movie Gosford Park as Elsie, the head housemaid, um, is also very friendly, and it's very clear that nobody has a lady's maid here. Their hair, the freaking hair. <laughs> but so it's a really nice house. Oh. You know, they obviously have some money. You know, they're not at the Potter level yet, but... I guess we're supposed to assume they're bohemians, or at least not as superficial, or concerned with appearances. I don't know. But Mama hints that Norman sure has been gone a lot, wink, wink, you know. And (laughs) Millie says, I have decided that you and I are going to be friends. Now, as Beatrix has never had a non-animated friend before, this kind of takes her aback a little bit. (laughs) Oh, okay. And she said, you're unmarried and happy about it, as am I. And her mother, not unfriendly, but kind of, why can't you talk about the weather like normal girls? (laughs) Because we're not normal. (laughs) And so uh, Emily Watson's character says, other unmarried women of our age spend their time gossiping and bursting into tears for no reason. But you, you have done something. That's great. It's gratifying. Yes. She's like, oh, my goodness. I just was in my nursery all this time, and now I'm a role model? What? Yeah, they million Beatrix each other almost at the beginning, which is kind of shocking. I mean, you know, you don't call people by their, quote, Christian names until you know them pretty well. Yeah. So they're already Beatrixing it. Mother says, I'm beginning to feel ill with all this bonhomie. Hilarious. (laughs) She's marketed as so old in this, and... So I'm trying to do the math. So let's say the eldest brother is, what, 45, maybe 50? So how old could she be? 65? I, I don't know. I guess 85 is the new 65 because they're marketing her as if she's an 85-year-old person. But she can't be that old. Yeah, she was frail and I don't know. Good point. I didn't even think of that. So, huh. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, Mama expresses her interest in, quote, melodramatic biographies. So I don't know who, I mean, Queen Elizabeth maybe? I don't know. There's a melodramatic biography. Yeah, Mary Queen of Scots, but she doesn't like to read. She doesn't like to read uh, modern books. So, um, so she refers to her son as a sweet-natured boy, and then she says, "You don't need to work. Your brothers provide for us, and I need your smile here at the house." So, I don't know if the actress was supposed to play this more peevish because I read this as kind of jokey, like kind of friendly. Yeah, no, I did too. I did definitely did too. Can I just say of that garden that they were having the tea in? It was just. It was so pretty. I would rather have tea in that garden than in anywhere in the Potter house at all. I know. It's very – and evidently, Millie has been gardening. And that's why Mama needs Norman back at the house because Millie is too busy working on the garden. That's why she has hands. What did she call it? Cheesemonger hands or something like that? (laughs) So Beatrix tells the story of drawing the pig food bucket, which is a true story, and it sounds literally crazy when you say it out loud in this setting. And there is a tolerance for her weirdness that there just is not at home. No. Yeah, they did really accept her right into their fold, didn't they? They really did. Sorry, loud truck coming. 
I hear it. So back home now, where Mama is leading the servants on a tour of micromanagement, talking about, well, we can hang the lace curtains, and if it's not summer, at least it looks like summer. Hmm. And then goes into this whole diatribe about, what is this stain on this blouse? You know, Jane's been trying to get this out for you. You know, what what is this? And she said it was ink from the printers. Now, if Jane had only had antibacterial hand gel, she could have got it out in 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, 19, she can't wait till 1966, though, um, unfortunately. Is that so, when hand gel was invented? Yes. Oh. Antibacterial hand gel in 1966, but that's not going to help Jane with the laundry now. So Mama gives away this shirt and takes this opportunity to scold Beatrix for being a drain on Papa's resources because, say it with me, she's not married. So Mama mocks the book by saying, I can't wait until this day, you know, this is finished and forgotten, which really hurts Beatrix's feelings more than the tirade about not being married, which let's face it, she's heard since she was 11. But it really hurts her feelings that her Mama has nothing more to say about basically her life's work other than I can't wait till this is over. Yeah. And all this unseemly behavior stops. She was able to build that wall you were talking about, about the unmarried part, but she hasn't built a wall about her book yet. You know, she she can't. It's too personal still. She hasn't been able to disassociate that when she talks to her mom. So she goes into, you know, we've introduced you to so many eligible men of your class. And then the classic trope of the unsuitable candidate montage. So we've got the probably gay one, the fat dumb one, the one who laughs funny. Who says okay. he's a crick shot? <laughs> well, they were also animals. They were animals. There was a, the pig, and the last one was a horse. If you looked at the way they had them acting and the way they looked, they looked like animals. Ooh, good catch. I didn't notice that. And maybe that's how she, you know Beatrix would have seen them. God, the one who laughs funny at the end was something else, man. <laughs> that was a horse. That was a horse guy. Hilarious. <laughs> so uh, Mr. Warren is at the door. So literally saved by the bell. And what does Ewan McGregor have up his sleeve? They're in the carriage. He has a secret. He has a secret. What can it be? He can barely keep the smile under his mustachio. <laughs> it's a bookshop window with her book in it. The window display could use some serious work. I will say. <laughs> Says the merchandiser. Yeah. Three books in three piles, riveting, but whatever. And now they're in a tea room with Miss Wigan, still present, is not even allowed to sit with them or have any tea, it looks like. What a dang life for Miss Wigan. And he mentions how many books that that bookshop probably is going to sell. 1,940 books in a week. We have created what? a book, he says. For real. But it slowly That's- dawns on her that now the the book is done. So is her excuse for seeing Mr. Warren. It's a bummer. As he says, a cloud has come across her face. Oh. He touches her hand, and Miss Wigan is suddenly full alert, like the adrenaline machine just went on. She is full alert. What would she do, even? Like, hiya! With her walking stick? You know, clear her throat. Him! <laughs> So he asks her for more stories, which suits them both in more ways than one. And so she remembers a story she once told a friend about a stupid duck based on herself, she says. Mm -hmm. And it's it's another flashback. And we go back and she starts telling the tale, sort of, of Jemima Puddle Duck. 
but she's telling it to a very handsome and hot young local man. The groundskeeper's son, she says. Right. Who turns out to be William Helis, which is actually not right because he seems like he's 10 years older than her, but in reality, he was five years younger. So if that had really happened, she would be the old one in the picture. You know what I'm saying? Right. And they met much later. They aren't childhood friends or anything. Right. Um, but still, you know, our old friend narrative economy is a powerful force. So you're not going to, you know, it's yeah, a nice way to introduce him early so that you don't have to spend too much time later making a backstory. Right. And they did, um, you know, establish that he was encouraging of her writing all in that little that one little scene. They go for a walk alone and he encourages her to keep up with her stories. Well, and little Beatrix um, kind of says she compliments the land and the landscape. And of course, Willie Helis tells her that the big farms are being broken up and sold to developers. And soon everything she likes to look at will be gone. And she said, well, you can't stand in the way of progress. And he goes, so they say, in his accent. <laughs> but I say, um, I say beauty's worth preserving, says Willie Helis. So that's a little foreshadowing for later. And they yeah. said goodbye rather abruptly. It's more like, see you later, alligator. Yeah, after a while, crocodile. And they just left. It's, it's probably to show us there's no romantic feelings. Like, nobody's pining. They just walked away. I thought, well, wait, that was kind of abrupt. Like, yeah, he was going off to study the law in Manchester. I know, but it was there was no it was just funny how abrupt that goodbye was. <laughs> like Yeah, for two people that should obviously knew each other well enough that she could tell him stories and he knew she wrote stories. Yeah, you're right. So quickly, 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 back to the tea room and where they talk about the more books and Mr. Warren says, you have been very important in my life. I intend to be a nuisance, which is the most romantic thing she's ever heard in her life. <laughs> yeah, this conversation, and I, this is not how it, well, actually, it was pretty close. She's like, well, let's do it again. And he's like, again, and again. Oh, they're talking about books. <laughs> yeah, and they're not playing Barry White in the background. <laughs> oh, that's right. I'm waiting for you to sing. <laughs> I'm not going to sing. Although, I think it is time for us to take a little break just for a message from our sponsor. And then we come back, we will round out the rest of the movie. What do you think? It sounds like a plan. means it's time to celebrate nature, be active, and eat healthy, delicious food. Green Chef helps people do just that. They're a new food delivery service that makes cooking at home easy with their consciously sourced organic meals and ingredients. Choose meal plans like vegetarian, omnivore, paleo, carnivore, or even gluten-free and get those fresh ingredients sent right to your door. Green Chef saves you time and it gives you peace of mind. They do the research for you, selecting organic, sustainable ingredients that are good for you and good for the environment. They take care of the planning, measuring, and prep work so that even the busiest of people can whip up an amazing meal in an average of just 30 minutes. Green Chef is offering our listeners four free meals with your first order at greenchef.com slash chicks. That's G-R-E-E-N-C-H-E-F dot com slash chicks. C-H-I-C-K-S. So we open 
at the Kensington Museum, which may be the Victoria and Albert by now, but either way, it's a museum, and she's with Millie. When did you decide you'd never marry? asks Millie. And Beatrix tells a story about how when she was about 20, and one of those suitors, one of the suitors we saw earlier, Mama came up and basically told her she'd whiffed it because somebody she rejected just inherited this grand estate from the Earl, his father, and he married somebody else. She washed her hands of Beatrix and her stupid pig-headed choices. You know, that's not how she put it, but basically that was the last suitor she was ever going to bring her. And she felt shocked that she realized she was never going to marry. And then she felt relieved about it. And then she felt shocked that she was relieved about it. <laughs> yeah. They were really bonding over their unmarried status. I mean, and, clearly they must've had other things in common, but they certainly talked about how they were very happy being unmarried a lot. And Millie says men are useful for financial support and procreation. <laughs> I think Millie is really a stand in for the real Beatrix's cousin, Caroline Hutton, who, whose forthrightness shocked Beatrix to the core and intrigued her. Like, um, the longest ever entry in her journal is all about describing how, uh, Caroline Hutton is her cousin. Uh -huh. Outspoken, you know, women's rights and anti-religion and just like so daring and so, you know, oh, you know, my gosh. So I think Millie is that cousin. Really. Oh, okay. I well, she's a stand-in. Yeah, but Millie, they were friends. You know, Beatrix and Millie were friends. But yeah, I see what you're saying. The personality was a stand-in. Yeah, got it. And Millie says, as long as you have a good friend, you know, you can get along. And I'm so glad, Beatrix, that Norman found you. I was missing something and I didn't even know what. And I will tell you, it's weird, though. They they walk by this painting when Millie says, um, what is she? She's talking about marriage and she's talking about d domestic enslavement, childbirth. So they've already passed this painting. Like 20, it's 20 feet behind them. Mm -hmm. And then the camera cuts back to a still of that painting. And the odd, crazy edit of that scene made me wonder, what the heck is that painting that they felt it was so important? And uh, it seems to be, although I can't define the exact artist, it's a very common theme. It's Europa being stolen from her father's home by Zeus, or Jupiter. They call him either one in different paintings. Um, the god disguised himself as a white bull and tricked her into, you know, marry, going away and mm -hmm. like marrying him. She became a queen of an island. And so anyway, she was tricked into leaving her father's house by a suitor who had disguised himself as something more attractive. So I'm, you know, a little secret art joke, I guess. Maybe. Oh, Domestic yeah. enslavement. Anyway, yeah, it's I, not as great it, as the married people make it sound. Yeah, maybe. I just think, um, you know, they were talking about men being terrifying, and then there's this painting of kind of a horrible story. Oh, and man. I wouldn't have even focused on it if they hadn't weirdly passed that painting and then gone way back for a still. I didn't understand that, so that made me investigate. They wanted us to notice it. I guess. So hereby you notice it. I don't know how many of us have the classical education that would, oh, the white bull. I know without it. You know, come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, so two bad mice is being packed and shipped. There's a Brief little, you know, brief little photo. And Beatrix invites Mr. Warren and his sister to her parents' Christmas party. It's high time I invited some friends myself. And then, the scene I hate so much. Wait, before you get to that, when she is inviting them to the Christmas party, the background is very green. And there's birds singing. It doesn't look like Christmas time oh. at all. <laughs> no. That's funny. 
Everything's like that. You know that happened in Gilmore Girls a lot because it was set in Connecticut, only it was uh-huh. filmed at the Warner Brothers lot, you know, in California. And so there's a lot of times when you like, <laughs> under the powder they've placed on the trees, you see the green leaves. <laughs> well, that's every single Hallmark Christmas movie, Hallmark or Lifetime Christmas movie. You know, or it's raining and you can see the sunshine. So, you know, it's not really raining. And then the scene I hate so much, so much so that it affected my rating of this movie. Whoa. Beatrix is painting what is going to be Mr. Warren's Christmas present. And then the animation comes again. And, you know, the rabbit's moving, whatever. And she she's yelling at the painting be still you imps peter you naughty boy blarg 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 hate that oh hate it so wait how do you feel about it (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) so mama sees this but she's evidently used to it and all she says is your father is home and that seems to be some kind of signal that's code for them to race down the stairs yeah And so, obviously, it's clear there's been some off-screen fight about the Warrens coming to the Christmas party, and Papa is now to make a ruling. And so, Mama is objecting, you know, how can we have them here with Lady This and Sir That? And It's Lady Armitage and Sir Nigel with Sybil. I think actual, genuine nobility with titles would take this in, in stride, at least in everybody's face. If you have a title, you don't have to scrounge around proving things. Do you know what right. I mean? Yeah. So I well, think mom she's... is trying to prove things clearly. I mean, yes. she's trying to prove things the whole movie. So Papa reveals that I went in to the bookstore and I purchased this with good money. Sorry, loud car. And I purchased this with good money. I always have a problem with purchase versus buy, but maybe it's a pretension thing. Oh, I don't like when people say purchase instead of buy. Okay, well, maybe it's period proper. I think more likely it is social climbing proper. Oh, okay. Even now, if I hear somebody say, now make a purchase, like as a noun to me, that's that's correct. It, it seems like a social climbing phrase to me, but whatever. It just struck to me because it's one of the words on my list. I have this running list of words I don't like. I know, and every time I hear more on the list, I'm like, do I say that? Have I said that? I don't know. The list is getting pretty large. I should send it to you. Yeah, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've done purchase. So, we're good. What the heck? How much trash is there? I mean, seriously. And now they pick mine up. This is the first time they've picked mine up. And how many have gone by? 11? You live in the dirty, dirty city. I do live in the dirty, (laughs) dirty city. Okay. That was a Gilmore Girls reference, by the way. Dirty. Dirty. Evidently, everyone at Papa's Club was talking about Beatrix's book. I owe you an apology, he says. All I saw was my little girl bringing me her clever drawings for my approval. You're actually an artist. You're you're the genuine article, and I'm very proud of you. How beautiful was that? For as much as you hated the scene right before that, that was lovely. I mean, he apologized for being so dismissive. At last. See what happens when he takes the paper off his face at the club? (laughs) (laughs) At last. Oh, they are talking about things. Oh. (laughs) So he does agree to invite the Warrens. Like, in your face, Mama. In your face. And then all she says, although she wants to say a bad word, she says, Merry Christmas. That's what (laughs) she says, which means the F word. Yeah. That's what I think. (laughs) 
So now Mama is supervising the preparations for the Christmas party, and I was struck by the fact, do trees even have tinsel on them anymore? Some trees, yes, you can buy tinsel. Huh. Okay, well, there you go. Um, there is a humorous warning to not give Sir Nigel the punch with the brandy in it, and then come get Mrs. Potter once he's had four glasses of port. So evidently, Sir Nigel needs some management. Yeah, he likes to tip back that glass a lot, doesn't he? <laughs> All the servants look so nice in their black and white. They did, and I thought that tree was very well adorned. Yes. It well, lovely. Mama has been micromanaging it for days. Yeah. And then this is where I noted that there were two men servants in the room. So mm-hmm. they must have borrowed them or maybe you can hire them. Uh, yeah. Because there's never been one before in the house. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to go with they hired them. Unless, get this, I guess oh, what if they're the, the outdoor servants uh, get pulled you. in. That's what I was just going to say. I wonder if it was um, Saunders and... And the coachman. Yeah. And certainly they had a gardener too, right? Oh my gosh. Would you want the gardener though? Well, I guess if you scrubbed his hands for him. I don't maybe. know. He wouldn't have company manners. Sir Nigel, I mean, if you don't want the warns there, you don't want the gardener. That's true. But the coachman and the groom are presentable looking dudes, and they're used to wearing formal wear and being deferential. So maybe, you know, it just occurred to me. Yes, that's probably Yes. Fun. So there. I'm, uh, so I'm so glad we solved that. Yeah. So Mama gives the Warrens grief for being, quote, so punctual because they're the first to arrive. Like, she was so worried about being late to this party in that flashback from 20 years, 25 years ago. And so now she thinks it's ghost to arrive on time. So it's gross to be so openly condescending, though. Gross. Don't you think? Yeah. I thought it was bad. But Beatrix was so excited that she they were there and... And Norman treats Miss Wigan like a human being for once, encouraging her to have a glass of champagne. And we get the first smile from Miss Wigan we have ever had. Yeah. <laughs> Miss Wigan and uh, Sir Nigel should probably go party somewhere. It does look like a nice party, though, doesn't it? it I does. mean, everybody seems animated and there's no dead silences and dinner seems nice and very well appointed. Yeah, I mean, Millie was not as fancy, obviously, as a lot of the people there, but there was a lot of jewels on display. And I think if you're well-bred, you wouldn't comment on that. You know what I mean? Uh, So clearly I'm not (laughs) well-bred. No, no, no. That's not what I meant. No, I know, I know. At the party, you wouldn't have noted it. Yeah, no, probably not. I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. (laughs) No, I didn't take it that way. I was making a joke. Uh, That's funny. But okay, so afterwards, when most of the table has dispersed, the young, well, young-ish people mock the topics of discussion. The weather in Amsterdam in July. Evidently, that's what everyone was so happy to talk about. I don't know. And they attempt to break away, but there's Miss Wigan and Mama, who tries to seize Mr. Warren away to play cards with the men. But Millie, good wingman that she is, takes one for the team and offers to go play cards. Though, does she know how? It's, hmm. We're meant to think that she doesn't know how, and she's doing this on purpose, but she does say later that she won two guineas, which might be the lie, so I'm not yeah. sure. She went to play, they went to play whist, and I don't know, I, I read that whole thing differently. I, it, to me, it looked like she's thinking, oh yeah, I'm a ringer here, I'll pretend I don't know how to play very well, and I'll win the whole thing. Do you, did you look up how to play it? Oh, no, no, incomprehensible. Cards are just... 
Well, it's just, well, I'm going to say it really fast for the card people out there. Um, it's a four-player game with two fixed partnerships. You are competing to win tricks, and each player flips a card as a team, and you put down four cards in the suit, and whoever wins it, which team collects it, and obviously the team with the most tricks at the end wins the whole game. It's apparently a very simple game to play if you're into cards, um, but there's a lot of room for um, strategy in it. Hmm. There you go. Whist. And you can play it online. <laughs> but I mean, if she can play, where did she learn it? If Norman doesn't know it, and you can't play two-handed whist with just Mama, so I don't think she does know how to play. Oh, I think she did. Perhaps I could show you your Christmas present, she says. It's upstairs. And Mr. Warren offers to bring the coffee and spikes at least one, if not all, of the cups. He remembered Miss Wiggins' love for or wish for the champagne earlier and just, he flat out tells her, you know, hey, look, this is full of brandy. I'm, you know, he doesn't try to trick her. He, no. I mean, he does try to trick her in the macro sense, but he literally tells her that booze is in there and lets right. her make her own choice. And, and she chooses wisely, I guess. Yes, well. For everyone involved except Mama. <laughs> well, Mr. Warren and Beatrix go alone into her studio. Uh, okay, you know, we talked about the scandal of that. That's her rooms. He's in her private rooms. You know, she says, you are the first man that isn't related to me to be in here. Although they do leave the door open. And then she says, if this is the most I can do for scandal at my age, I've ruined my reputation for creativity. <laughs> She's getting back to that girl. She's getting that girl back. Slowly. Even if you're not in the 1900s and even if you're not in mixed company, don't you think there's something kind of intimate about being upstairs in someone's house? Yeah, no, I totally agree because you're like in their inner sanctum, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, you know, somebody, but you know, they're downstairs person. So when you get up to their, you know, private rooms, you get to see a little bit more of what that person's really like, you know, like your bedroom, which I actually have been in, you know, it's just packed with those books. That's so cool. You know, and you know, your downstairs isn't packed with books like that. Because they're not presentable because they're not taking good care of them. And so they're all wrecked up. Yeah, but I think that looks really neat. I love that. You put a picture of it on Instagram, didn't you? I sure did. Yes. Yeah. I thought it was cool. Okay, so uh, the dumb, the dumb, dumb animation shows again Ugh. of Jemima Puddle Duck shaking her booty for no apparent reason. I, I, there it is. That's <gasps> I did I'm put, I wrote down, I did, I'm like, this is getting annoying. You know, I was accepting the whole weirdly the most epic one where it's like the six animated bunnies pulling the pumpkin coach i was actually yeah. okay with that right but all this random talking to oh it just made me mad <laughs> anyway but oh more importantly miss wiggin falls asleep oh does she fall asleep how drunk is she i suspect she's been into it downstairs and the permission to sit down in the quiet was the tipping point because there's when no way she drank that much in 30 seconds no probably not and there's coffee and brandy you know do they counteract each other i don't know <laughs> no but uh, even so she couldn't have i mean even if she had done brandy shots straight from the yeah. bottle she wouldn't have fallen out that fast yeah it was probably past her bedtime too <laughs> and then such a sweet scene here after the muffler goes by he sees a music box and when he winds it up it was a gift from her father uh you know he recognizes the tune when he plays it he goes oh let me teach you how to dance and he said, I'm a terrible dancer, but uh, the words are very sweet. And she asks him to sing it, and he does, and then they dance. Oh, my, so good. I know. But they get left alone. 
for the first time and they dance. And I thought, you know, the way they had her put her hand on his shoulder, I thought that was, you know, she wasn't like grabbing his shoulder with her hand down or her hand was up. Well, and so, she doesn't have any gloves on and you don't want to leave sweat on a guy and her hand's probably sweating. You don't want to <laughs> leave sweat on a guy's shoulder. That's why you had the gloves on. Okay. I'm just saying. I, now, see, I'm thinking, you know, it was more about um, personal space. You know, oh. <laughs> you, know you, don't, you don't feel up his shoulder. <laughs> but the other hands are holding. Mm. Uh, then he almost, he, then he almost asks her to marry him. He almost gets it out. And she keeps saying, Mr. Warren, Mr. Warren. Is she protesting or exclaiming? I just don't know. I don't know. She said yeah. sworn like four times. Well, this is the first time she's been alone, alone with him. They've just danced. I mean, this is, a you know, uh, emotional overstimulation for poor Beatrix. <laughs> now they're talking about their feelings, you know, in real words, not just about the book doing it again and again. That, by the way, that little music box song was the very first song written for the score. Yes, I know. I actually um, started the show notes already, and I put the video for it on them. Oh, it's like their song. So then, Mama Bustin, uh, having glanced angrily back at the ineffectual Miss Wigan, <laughs> and and Beatrix says, "I'm an impeccably genteel gentlewoman. I haven't yet begun to invite men to my room. Ah, uh, the drunk chaperone in the hall is kind of a red flag, though." Just say it. Good for it's like uh, Beatrix Potter gets her groove back. Uh, so downstairs again, Beatrix, uh, somewhat in shock, I think, um, carrying that painting, the Christmas present, the excuse for having been upstairs in the first place, is waylaid by some of the guests with the, their plumier accents. So these may be Lady So-and-so and Sybil What's-Its-Face. And Lady Armitage. Oh, yes. And uh, she's persuaded to tell them the story of the Rabbit's Christmas, which I'm not sure what this ended up being, because in reality, I think the Christmas story series of paintings seem to have been done in real life before Peter Rabbit even. So I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. If she did it for Norman. Yeah. But it's actually the painting that she gives him that's at the top of that book of paintings. There's six paintings inside. Um, it's actually still exists. Four of them are in a museum and two are in a private collection. Ooh. And they were at one point put together into a type of story called the rabbit's Christmas party. Uh, and there's a link in the show notes to that story. Huh. Yeah. There you go. But here comes Mama after probably hissing obscenities to poor old Miss Wigan all the way down the stairs and is gobsmacked to see her daughter holding court in front of a room with a rapt audience of titled people. Um, and they they exclaim and they clap and they're all delighted and they com they compliment Mama who says, and this I, I wrote a word that starts with a B, <laughs> I wrote that word in here a lot, too. And she said, it's only a children's story. And I did. I wrote the word that starts with B that I'm not yep. going to say because I don't want to yep. bleep. I don't want to bleep. Bleep. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. So Beatrix but gets Millie out on the balcony. And she apparently, I, see, this is the part I wish they had done it, shown us, because apparently Norman did ask her to marry him. No, he and didn't actually, you know, she said, well, she said, Norman has asked me to marry him. What do you think? So do you, isn't that what she said? She said that. And I wrote in here, no, he didn't actually, but we do know his intent. 
I mean, okay. I, I didn't see an actual proposal, and I don't know where that would have happened had it not happened. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't I, linger. I know. And how is she supposed to have known that that's where he was going? I mean, uh, that's pretty cool. That's you, oh, it's clear to us, but I don't know. But she's asking Millie for her approval, thinking that Millie's going to be like, uh, no, you know, that's the girl code. You can't marry my brother. Well, all that single woman stuff from before. I know. We're We're empowered. We're single. We love it. But Millie's like... Yeah, go for it. You'd be an idiot not to. Well, and Millie says, all that's hogwash. What am I supposed to say? I'm a single woman of a certain age. Go and be happy. You have a chance to be loved. I know. And it's finally snowy. So it is Christmas. <laughs> so, but here's the thing. He, it's really Christmas, but he asked her to marry him in July in reality. Oh, that's true. Hmm. No, it didn't really happen. But, but, you know, for story's sake, it's... Like I said, it's not a documentary. Well, Papa is surrounded by people telling him he must be very proud. Yes, yes, he is. Although in real life, not certainly not as much as this. Mm -mm. And Beatrix gets her bow to the side and whispers yes. And they both keep it mostly inside. Though she runs up to see him out of the window. And I was all braced for the dang pumpkin coach again. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but no, he drives off with his plain old horses. And the music box means a heck of a lot more to her now. And it's such a happy moment. And she's weeping. She's just weeping. And they have a song that she can play anytime. And Mr. Warren meets Mr. Potter at the Reform Club to ask for Beatrix's hand. And five minutes later, they're careful to show you on the clock outside the door. Five minutes later, he merely says, thank you for taking the time out of your busy day. (laughs) And obviously it was a hell no, because the next scene is raised voices and shouting and servants dusting the same thing 30 times so they can listen. And she says, Beatrix says, I said I'd do it and I will. And Mama brings that tradesman argument up again. Uh, No Potter will ever marry one. Beatrix has a very good retort. Papa's legacy came from Grandpapa's printing works. If he hadn't stood for MP, that's Member of Parliament for the Americans, we'd still be in the shadow of that trade. And then she looked at Mama. Your legacy came from the cotton trade. When did we become so high and mighty? Good question. And then she throws poor Bertram under the bus. And she's like, he married a wine merchant's daughter. They threatened to disinherit her. And she's like, why would you disinherit me when you didn't disinherit Bertram? For basically a worse thing than what I'm currently doing. She's like, got her spine. I love this scene. This was one of my favorites. And she reminded them that she now has money of her own and she will do it the end. And and runs up to her room. And then, of course, the knock. Come in, Papa. We know it's Papa because it won't be Mm -hmm. Papa. And he comes in to reason with her. And, you know, we just want what's best for you, blah, blah, blah. And he is offended that she accuses him of just wanting a nursemaid. Now, in real life, I think... That was their plan. That was exactly their plan. But Papa just doesn't doesn't get it. He doesn't he is willing to understand, but he doesn't understand. Your mother presented you with acceptable suitors. I mean, I don't I don't understand where this is coming from. Yeah, why do you want this guy? It's it's like they she isn't even a person. She could have been paired up she's a horse. She could have been paired up with anybody. Okay, so now the scene changes and we are somewhere grand. There's a lot of Men in top hats and marble floors and red leather and Beatrix and her banker, for that's who he is, um, she asks if one day, not now, you know, one day, um, might I have enough money to buy a house in the country? He's like, um, several estates worth and a city house. You are a wealthy woman. You don't have to worry about money for the rest of your life, he says. And she's 
She says, truly, how extraordinary. <laughs> okay, I didn't understand. How, would, how did she get paid without her knowing that there was money in her account? I'm sure Warren's just opened an account. Oh, and then the Warren's dropped the money. So it was like direct deposit. Well, yeah, and, the, and you know, she she's never seen, you know, like Papa issued her pocket money or she would go to the dressmaker. I'm sure this is how it went. You'd go to the dressmaker and then at the end, you don't know, the bill just went to Papa at the end and his agent paid it. You don't mm-hmm. see the bill. You don't know. It's You're not involved. You're a lady. Yeah. You're, your little brain can't handle the overheating. So they handled it all for her. But then she's quite happy. <laughs> That's true. Back to Bolton Gardens. Breakfast. No trays for married ladies at Bolton Gardens. Remember how in Downton Abbey, the married ladies always eat upstairs to save an outfit? Yeah. In their pajamas. Yeah. But Beatrix is taking a tray up to her room to avoid Papa and Mama, who, you know, start in immediately. And they tell her, for heaven's sake, you know, let the servants carry your dishes. Isn't that hilarious? I know. So they're still parvenus, even at breakfast. Yeah. She actually used that word in that last scene when she's biting them. She's like, we're parvenus. So they have a proposition for her. They're not convinced. Neither do they want her. You know, they don't have hearts of stone. So you may accept him. Oh, gee, thanks, because I'm almost 40. You may accept him, but it has to be secret, even from his family, which that part's not true. Right. Like, even the dollhouse from Two Bad Mice belonged to to one of Norman's nieces. I mean, the family Mm -hmm. knew how close they were. So we're going to go away for the summer, as usual. And at the end, if you're still feeling the same way... We're going to announce it. Okay. That seems fair. Well, she had a reasonable question. Like, why does this have to stay secret? And Mama's like, so when it gets untangled, you won't be embarrassed. Like, we don't have anything to undo if we don't do it in the first place. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, Mom is firmly convinced that this is not going to happen. It's just her, you know, dingy daughter with another one of her hairbane schemes. Well, and Beatrix says, very well, I accept your terms, but there will be a wedding in October. So respectful, yet very firm. Mm-hmm. And in the next scene, there's a ring. In the snow. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Me with the weather. You know, um, ultimately, in real life, I mean, there's going to be a spoiler. I'm sure you've either seen this or you don't care if we spoil if you're listening to the movie recap. But um, she ends up wearing that ring, the ring in this scene, on her right hand the rest of her life. Yeah, I know. You know what? I had, when I did the show notes for Beatrix Potter, I had looked for a picture of where the ring was showing and I couldn't find one because they're kind of grainy. That was sad. But the ring that she's presented, it is blue. It kind of looks like the uh, Lady Die engagement ring that's now on the hand of Catherine. We really did. Yeah, the the whole Diamond Solitaire thing didn't come about till later. Mm-hmm. It was really pretty. Yeah. It was, it was flashier than I would have imagined a country woman to be wearing. Mm-hmm. So um, Beatrix brings her manuscript for Tiggy Winkle to the office, and there's a lot of secret smiling, I've noticed. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of secret smiling. We're keeping this all. But you know what I did notice is that there's women in the office working now. Did you notice Ooh, that in the background? So progressive. That, well, and it makes sense with, you know, like, I constantly refer to Downton Abbey, but that's kind of the beginning of the whole women going into work at the office, and it's still respectable kind of thing. Yeah, so there's women working there. So the, they're probably secretaries, though. <laughs> um, the foursome of Mr. Warren, Beatrix, Millie, and Miss Wigan is walking down the street. And Millie, again, the wingman, takes Miss Wigan aside to show her the new book on a shop window to give the couple 30 seconds of privacy. And I was very touched to see Miss Wigan so happy and proud about that book. I was kind of surprised about how much I cared about that, actually. 
see, she was such a great actress. You began to care about her and you were hoping that she had a heart and she did. <laughs> well, I liked the scene. It was a, it was kind of a throwaway scene that meant really, I don't even know why they put it in, which it seemed weird because they spent a lot of money on pro like there's a knife sharpening vendor behind them and mm -hmm. there's meat, like whole pigs hanging in the butcher's window behind them. And so the set dressing, even the, the merchandising of what I assume is some kind of candy store behind them. They spent a lot of time and money on this particular scene, which honestly they could have cut out and nobody would have missed it. Yeah, maybe it was just to say that they did try to sneak off and have time together. So it establishes that they had a bigger relationship as engaged, secretly engaged people than you know, just saying we'll be engaged and then what's going to happen next. So now at the train station, off on what seems to be the very last time that Beatrix will ever have to go on vacation with the parents. Uh, she's looking. She's looking and there's no one. And Mama is so smug. Ugh. Um, and Oh, there he is. And she runs down. Mr. Warren, Mr. Warren. And the man is so shocked at her. The man, it's not him. It's a different guy. Whoops. How much... I mean, honestly, one person going back now could shock everyone in a train station in 30 seconds and come right back. Well, if anybody could, it would be her because she shocked the whole park, you know. Well, and she just yelled Mr. Warren and it was as if she'd taken off her clothes, how shocked he looked. I know, right? <laughs> so there he is at last. There he is. And where's his freaking hat? It's nowhere. Mm. nowhere and it's raining miss hutter mr warren i had to see you nothing could stop me this is going to be the longest summer you know true but not the way she thinks no. um the steam rises providing sufficient cover and they kiss they kiss the kissy part in the steam from the steam engine and the rain wow and right That's after Goodbye, Miss Potter. Goodbye, oh. Mr. Warren. It's like, we're still, we've kissed, we've smooched, we're engaged. I mean, I call and my husband Mr. Graham, but that's like an affectation. But anyway, right. and then she says, the very last second, goodbye, Norman. And you just know the awe on his face. Like he knows it's, you know, it's true love. You know, it's just true love. And that's, I cried right there. That's when I cried. Well, and then they had the music box song. You know, their song was playing in the, I mean, over in the movie, in the background. It's like, oh, but it's, it's, it's such a, it was at a really slow pace. It was so sad. So mm. the same bridge from before we see, the same scenery from before, the same house from before. And there's a letter montage is what I call it. Gosh, there's a yeah. lot of montages. Voiceovers and reading. Voiceovers and reading, love with scenery, and amazing sentiments. So, I mean, I didn't really write down anything specific in the letter montage. Do you have no? I no, I just have letters, letters, love letters. Oh, what a great view! Yeah, that's kind of because <laughs> <laughs> this house had an amazing view of the lake. So Beatrix is walking along a road, random road, and sees a man nailing up a sign. Hilltop Farm is to be auctioned off. Uh, another great one falls, says the man, but this one just breaks your heart. Ding dong, as Bridget Jones would say, when the man turns around, who is that handsome fella? And then they recognize each other from, what, 25 years ago? Yeah. And then she has the best line. I love this. I see you've given up on the law. Have you decided to make an honest living? <laughs> That's a slam on Papa. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Sure. It. He offers to show her around. Um, Funny that Miss Wigan is not present in the country. Maybe it doesn't matter what country people think. Uh, it is just beautiful, she said. It's sublime. Well, it is. It's beautiful. And actually, um, the hilltop house that they used in the movie is actually Yew Tree Farm. 
Beatrix Potter had made so many alterations to the real hilltop farm during her lifetime that they couldn't use it as a location anymore. But it is beautiful. It's it, gorgeous. And so here's the germ of the idea of buying it, you know, for her and Norman to at least have as a country house. I mean, it's it's just delightful. It's my ideal. Now I'm married to a man whose ideal is a hot beach with, you know, cold drinks. So <laughs> somehow I think the two shall never meet. But um, and then no letter, no letter for days. Uh, as Mama is quick to inform her. You know, she's like, once again, there's no letter from Mr. Warren. Might I get hopeful? Oh, my but, God. There's that B word again. Mm-hmm. Mm. But there is something from his interesting sister. How delightful. She's excited. Um, And so you see her read it. Something's wrong because she drops something because that's how how one tells an audience that there's something in this letter that's alarming. We've dropped something. <laughs> Norman is ill is all she says, but it's it's very serious to the point where she packs a bag and is driven away and she's on the train and she's off. She's back, hiding herself as fast as she can based on Millie's letter back off to the Warren's house where Fruing hurries to meet her in the vestibule. He's very polite. Um, uh, how is he? She says. Now, remember, in the movie, his brothers don't know there's even a personal element at all. Right. And she knows she knows, I think, when she sees that Millie has a black dress on. And her face. Millie's obviously mm -hmm. been crying and really upset. And she says, I'm too late. And Millie says, he was so happy. He made me dance with him. Only I know the reason he was so happy. But all summer, he had a cough. And suddenly, he was gone. Now, he didn't have a cough in real life. He had leukemia, which doesn't right. traditionally come with a cough. I think they suggested that he caught the cough from being out in the rain because... One of the lines she said when they were in at the train station was, you know, you better get inside. You're going to catch a cold oh. or you're going to catch a cough. So they're trying to give her a guilt element now? That's not Yeah, cool. maybe. Well, in reality, she had nothing to do with it because they, it was just undiagnosed leukemia that they mm -hmm. caught at the very last minute. So, right. um, so she missed the funeral um, because Millie couldn't think of – she couldn't think of a legitimate reason for them to delay it for her. I mean, because if – in fact, they have a business relationship and she's out of town. I mean, there, you know, there were just right. wasn't a legitimate way. And, and even so, the brothers are like, you know, that's very nice of one of our you know, clients to come and pay their respects. Oh, he sees her as their most valued client. I mean, mm -hmm. he's kind of honored. Uh, it was considerate of you to stop by and he wants to assure her, you know, please don't take your business from us. Uh, I and my brother will be taking over our late brother's business. Um, and as far as he knows, that's what she came to ascertain. As far as he's concerned, she's come yeah. to protect her interests because that's what he would do. Um, yeah. But Beatrix realizes that they they want her to leave. God, so much restraint. So much restraint. I know. She could have said something, anything. Millie could have said something, you know, like, this is my best friend. Let me just sit with her for a while or whatever. But no, she's just like, um, Beatrix is like, I got to go. I got to get out of here. So she, uh, I don't even think we have that strength anymore. I don't know. I hope mm -hmm. I never have to find out. She staggers a little on the path up to Bolton Gardens and her face her face startles the maid, I will say, when the maid answers mm. the door. But she holds it together, sort of, until she sees that music box. And then she just falls apart in spectacular fashion. That heartbreak of the first time you fall in love, you know, that's what she's going through. Oh. And she tries and tries to find comfort in her drawings. But through animation, again, we see them all go wrong. Uh, all her... All of her friends are running away from her. Her friends meaning friends like that she draws. Yeah. Um, and they're all sad pictures and bad things happen. They're very scary. You know, it's not the cute little animals anymore. Well, and the maid, 
Uh, it's not Jane. That's all I know. I don't know what this maid's name is, but she tries to take care of her solitary employer. She brings up, you know, trays and Beatrix never eats them, but she just doesn't feel like it's her place to beat down the door or insist that Beatrix eats them. I mean, it's not really her place. Um, and so when Millie comes to call, uh, I think the maid, you know, she says, I know I'm not announced. And, you know, that normally would have been a bar. Like, she's upstairs. She's not receiving. But I think the maid's so worried. Like, oh, ho, this person has the authority to make her open that door and lets her upstairs. And also Mrs. Potter isn't home. So propriety can take yeah. back seat. Yeah. Yeah. And so Millie comes in, really kind of takes charge. You know, she says, I loved him, too, but he's gone. He was, he's gone. And she said, I will leave this house, says Beatrix. And Millie agrees that's the best thing to do. Oh, yeah. Like a good BFF. She's there. She picks her up, you know, cleans her off. Even though she's grieving, too, she knows that Beatrix is going through such heartache and helps her. Yeah. Encourages her. Get the heck out of here. And in the very next scene, which is a very small one, uh, Beatrix owns Hilltop Farm. And the only thing I have on that um, is I said, is there a free son with William Helis? I don't know if it's a frisson or more like familiarity. Like she's known him a long time, at least in the movie. She's known him a long time. So um, she does mutter under her breath that she had had other plans for this place, but this will do. Yeah. So Beatrix in the next scene is moving out. I uh, The removals men are there. I loved, I wish I could own the back panel of that van that says removals on it. I would love <laughs> that. All Mama has to say is, I don't see how you're going to pay for this farm. And I think the farm might as well have been in quotes. And Papa says, our daughter is famous. And then he says, I don't understand why you wish to leave your home. Like, what kind of home has it been, really? <laughs> Very know. supportive. I don't know. And she convinces him finally that she has to make her own way in life. So then we go to Hilltop where she's standing in that, you know, that weird pile of boxes and clutter you have when you move. It's kind of unreal. Like, I guess I really live here. You want to make it real. And that's. What Beatrix does, she pulls out some of her pictures and kind of sets them up and talks very creepily to them. No tears, she says. This is your new home. And of course, then we get a scene of Beatrix crying in bed that night. And I do feel for her. This is not at all the life she thought was going to happen in this house. And she feels all alone. Mm -hmm. I think it's very sad. When unpacking, she comes across... Her basket of paintbrushes. She's kind of not happy. Like, it's kind of like seeing a frenemy mm -hmm. is what I took. It's like, <laughs> oh, you again. And it, she kind of just looked at it. And I don't know what to take from that. She regarded it. Just Yeah, I thought it, it just reminded her of the pain. I mean, that was the, what tied them together. That's what brought them together, you know, was her art. And she just didn't have the heart for it. So Millie comes to visit and says, this place is perfect, which I agree. And Millie uh, has brought the rabbit Christmas party painting. And she wasn't sure if she should, and she said it leaped into her hand. Now, you know what? If Jemima can waggle her butt, surely paintings can jump into people's hands, too. <laughs> okay, and I don't, you know what? Why? I can see why Beatrix, why she'd want to give it to her, but wouldn't it just remind her of such a painful incident? Or do you think that that painting reminded her of the Christmas when she was very happy? Well, okay, so there is a parallel to this. My husband, long ago, made this sculpture for a friend. And the friend ended up dying. And mm -hmm. the friend's wife gave that sculpture back to my husband, who actually treasures it greatly. Oh, okay. He was very touched that the wife thought, rightly so, that it would mean more to him than to her as mm -hmm. it had been created for a specific person. So I think right. that's probably what's going through Millie's mind, too. Okay. Uh, I accept that. Yeah. 
Um, so she said the painting's getting easier. She's painting pigs, which I assume that's Pigling Bland is the only real pig book, isn't it? I don't know. My mother and I have come to an understanding, says Beatrix, uh, not to understand each other. <laughs> that's grown up right there. Finally, it's taken a long time. It probably should have happened 20 years ago. Yeah. But no. it couldn't happen without financial independence. I don't think so. Mm-mm. No, and and it couldn't have happened without something happening to her that made her, that kicked her in the butt, you know, and his death did that. This is rock bottom. I have to do something. So we've got scenery, 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 Beatrix drawing <laughs> in the woods, Beatrix gardening, which she later becomes famous for, but this is really the only little highlight we get. Hey, she also gardens, by the way, BT dubs, she gardens. Yes. There's some kind of town meeting and there's a man speaking, you know, I get a decent price for a derelict property and I don't care what they build as long as they pay me and my lads to put it up and take it back down. And guy number two is like, all will be left with is a ruined landscape and no community. So that's happening. And Beatrix is sitting in the back of that meeting. There wasn't any women that I saw, but she was like the only woman in the whole place. Well, Mr. Helis finds Beatrix in a field. He's bringing her some paperwork. What are they doing? Beatrix says she's asked the tenant to stay on and run Hilltop as a working farm. And Mr. Helis was very approving of that. You know, he played here as a child. He wishes everybody who bought land would do that. I just hate Beatrix's Sherlock Holmes hat in this scene, by the way. <laughs> I hate it so much. It's probably a little more practical than some of her other hats. It's like boiled up felt, just crumpled on her head. on her head. Oh, hate it. There's not too many fashion notes because she's not too fashionable. Ooh, wait, I do have a fashion oh, note. I do too. What's yours? The costumer. Okay, that was mine. <laughs> uh, actually sourced all original. He didn't make anything. It's right. all original stuff. Yeah. So when you look at those outfits, those are authentic. It's not the, a recreation at all, which is remarkable. So someone long ago chose that hat in a shop or made it that's astonishing to me maybe it looks better something happened like it got water damaged and uh the costume designer didn't realize it <laughs> i don't know man beatrix says hey the two adjoining farms are for sale hmm so there's a cute little scene of beatrix and the farmer I, you know the tenant they're talking pigs of course beatrix wants to know what their names are and the farmer explains quite kindly, I think, for a country man, that it's hard at slaughtering time if you've given them names. <laughs> I think that is so cute. And I have a story to go with that, too. Okay. I was once at a country person's house where country children were there with us, and there was a lovely pulled pork dish in the crock pot. And everyone was eating away, and the little kid came up to their mom and said, I want some more curly. Ouch. I'm like, some more what? <laughs> And the older country child explained to me that this is their 4-H pig, Curly. Oh. And I was like, what? They're like, yeah, we used to ride him and we put ribbons on his tail and stuff. And I was like, you guys are sick. I mean, you know what? <laughs> Realistic, but sick. Come on now. They used to ride it around. They used to tie ribbons in its tail. And then he made a delicious pulled pork dish. <laughs> That's because they took really good care of him. That was the point. Yeah. yeah. They're dispassionate. I mean, they have so the right of it. They do have the right of it. But, like, don't give it a name. Or, or don't tell me you don't tell strangers or people in your house it's like a family thing keep it in with the family city people cannot get down with that not at all okay um so when who arrives across the rickety but picturesque footbridge why it's mr helis he would like to go take her to show her some properties that are for sale and she's like okay the guy that's <laughs> supposed to take her to see the properties basically has fallen tonsil deep into a bottle at the rose and crown and isn't available <laughs> 
<laughs> I wonder if Mr. Helis bought him those drinks so that he could have some time alone with Miss Potter. Well, I don't know. This bold hussy just gets her shawl and walks down the street. So at the auction, it's a sea of dudes and Beatrix. The bidding begins. La, la, la. Goes back and forth. And ultimately, she buys it to the lady for 3000 That's... Can you brace yourself for how much money this is? Are you okay, ready? Brace. $420,000. That's a lot. In today's money. That's a lot of little books. Um, it was, and it was, I think they indicated that it was over what she wanted to spend. And uh, over what the developer was even willing to spend. Right, right. And they go outside and the developer comes up to Mr. Hewless and he's like, control your client. That's prime development land. I love how this is exactly how she says this. Because he treats her like she's not even there. Like she has right. allowed her emotions to get the better of her, he says, as if she's not literally right there. I am no longer in the habit of being lectured to, and thankfully, I do not require your approval or anyone else's. So Mr. Gila smiles. That's as much as he feels like he can do. But the local farmers, what, chuckle that the city man got told off by a girl? <laughs> they can't stop laughing all the way out of there. Yeah, it was a great scene. I mean, that's like, as far as I'm concerned, that's where she like put the cherry on the top of her development, you know? It's like, I don't, I'm there. So she asks about other farms. She's got the fever. Um, the music right here sounded so much like the Emma music from Gwyneth Paltrow, Emma, that I went and looked it up and it actually is Rachel Portman. She didn't write all the music, but she wrote the music that's supposed to symbolize Beatrix's feeling for the Lake District. And I felt very smug to have recognized the composer. That's awesome. I would not even have taken a venture. Guess Mr. Helis comes to Hilltop Farm. With his hipster satchel. <laughs> he did have a hipster sh satchel. That's so true. Um, but he's invited inside. And we see the inside of Hilltop Farm. And it's very charming and cozy and comfy. And it's not at all like the house she grew up in. And so she goes to the other room to get her things. And he starts talking to the pictures. He like goes up to the pictures that she had taken out first. You know, they put on the shelf and she starts talking to them. Two kooks of a feather. Oh, my gosh. And then they have the big conversation is on a nice walk. You can call me William. Well, you should call me Beatrix. I mean, that's like taking the relationship to the next. That's like second base or maybe third. Mm. <laughs> so scenery, scenery, scenery. Circle back to the original quote. There's something quite delicious about writing your first words of a story. You never quite tell where they will take you. And at the end, there is some text on the screen that shows that Beatrix married William Helis eight years later and that she left all her properties to the National Trust, which we talked about in the Beatrix Potter episode. Mm -hmm. Are we ready to give a rating? Um, I do want to say that when the credits rolled, it was very pretty. Again, you know, they had her, they had her drawings. It was sweet. Okay, yes. Let's give our ratings. What do you give it? Okay, so out of 10, I'm going to give it 6 out of 10 Puddle Duck Booty Shakes. Ooh. Here's why. The okay. animation really brought it down. I just found it so bad. And also, too much Bridget Jones in the mannerisms. I got very distracted. Had I never seen Bridget Jones, I might have given it a higher rating. I don't know. And then... There's a whole bunch of strange cuts and strange edits, and I'm not going to point them out because it'll kind of ruin it, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I ruined basketball watching for somebody when I explained that all I heard during basketball was, ee, 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 and now they can't get it out of their mind. So I'm not going to go into, other than the painting, 
being a weird edit, but there's a whole bunch of that kind of thing in this movie. Okay, well, I didn't like it probably as much as you think I did because I did like it. I'm going to give it uh, 7.25 Helen Potter Smackdowns because I did like – I mean, there were things that I did like. I do like a nice romantic story, and that's what this was, and it had the sad in the middle. I mean, you even cried. I think tears – if a movie can get tears – you know, warrants a higher rating, I think. The scenery's great, and it's a pretty movie, too. Oh, it's so. very pretty, yeah. So that's where I'm at. But I do think I'm standing by my earlier statement that it would have been a better movie with Kate Blanchett. <laughs> I didn't think there was any chemistry between Ewan McGregor and... Yeah, well, he was no Colin Firth, that's for sure. <laughs> but he's handsome. He was handsome. No, he is handsome, except for that mustachio, which I hated, but that was period, too. Yeah, and you know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write up my um, compare and contrast chart and put it in the show notes so we don't take up any more ear time right now. But um, there was quite a few things. Like a rabbit plays a key role in both of those stories. And their heartbreak remedies, while they were different, um, you know, Beatrix used drawing the scary animals and hibernating and then the country therapy, whereas Bridget used vodka and Shaka Khan. But it got to the same result. <laughs> but there was a lot of similarities, I thought. So I'll just write that in the show notes if anybody's interested. And then stay tuned for the Bridget Jones third movie coming out if you liked Bridget Jones better than Beatrix Potter. Bridget Jones predated Beatrix Potter by yes. five years, yes. by full years. So that has been a recap of the movie Beatrix Potter 2006 starring Renee Zellweger and Ewan McGregor. I hope that you liked it. I hope you can get a hold of it. Um, Next time we should probably do something that's on Netflix. Bridget Jones is on Netflix. (laughs) Well, there you go. Maybe we can do Bridget Jones. No, no, no. No, no, no. All right. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next time with a show that is more our usual format. Bye. If you liked what you heard today, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. You can find us in all the usual social media places, especially on Pinterest, where you can find an entire board devoted to the works and life of Beatrix Potter. The History Chicks is part of the Panoply Network, a division of Slate.com. Picture how your nights would be Softly as a moonlight falls on the trees Picture all the dreams you'll keep Breathing freely Every night's a picture, girl, you believe Picture 